You look tired. I don't sleep well anymore. Because of your mother? I don't know why I keep dreaming about her. Dreams pass in time. I'd much rather dream about Padme. Just being around her again is intoxicating. Be mindful of your thoughts, Anakin. They betray you. You've made a commitment to the Jedi Order, a commitment not easily broken. It must be difficult having sworn your love to the Jedi. Not being able to visit the places you like or do the things you like. Or be with the people that I love. Are you allowed to love? thought that was forbidden for a Jedi. Attachment is forbidden. Possession is forbidden. Compassion, which I would define as unconditional love, is central to a Jedi's life. And so you might say that we are encouraged to love. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 466, Attack of the Clones, Act 1. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Obi-Wan Kenobi to my Dexter Jetster, we've got Carl LeClaire. <laughs> Hello, Dex. <laughs> Take a seat, I'll be right with you. <laughs> you want to Hey, old buddy. <laughs> yeah, Obi-Wan doesn't have much to say initially. But uh, that's perfect, and uh, oh my gosh, Jason, so excited for this. Um, as all of y'all know, we are in the midst of our Attack of the Clones celebration month in honor of the 20th anniversary, and for the next three weeks, we invite you to take a deep dive into episode two with us as we look at each act uh, in the next subsequent weeks. So this week, we're going to look at act one of the movie, and obviously act two and three in the next couple of weeks. But of course, Jason, before we get into all of this, happy Star Wars Day, y'all. Happy Star Wars Day! May the 4th be with you! And then watch out for the Revenge of the 5th, because that's coming right behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so as of the, the release of this, we are releasing this on Star Wars Day. Uh, if you did not get to this on Star Wars Day, we hope you had a great Star Wars Day. Um, and uh, Jason, I'm having a, a big Star Wars Day bash with a, a bunch of friends tonight. I'm super excited about it. Can't wait to hear what other people get up to, and we're going to invite you to share that a little bit later on in the episode yeah. um unfortunately star wars day is wednesday for me this year which is my big like work deadline day so uh basically i'm gonna be sitting doing work all day just listening to my star wars music but that'll be my star wars day <laughs> <laughs> well i like i said i'm fortunate enough that uh I, i've got I've got the evening to just uh, have some friends over. I've got some themed things going on. We we're going to have Star Wars Arts and Crafts. We're going to have a Star Wars photo booth. We're going to have an Episode nice. 1 racer competition on the PlayStation. 
Um, and of course, some blue milk will be made for those who are indulging in adult drinks. So it's going to be a great time. Carl, um, is there any possible way that you know of that I can clone myself and be there for your party? Because I want to be there. Absolutely. <laughs> we just have to dro- drop by Camino real quick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, hopefully they've figured out how to speed up cloning by more than, you know, half uh, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, Jason, I've been these last, these last two shows doing the attack of the clone soundtrack and then having jazz with us last week to talk about the novel has been so much fun. Um, and, uh, you know, we wanted to devote the next couple of weeks just specifically to the nuts and bolts and the meat and the deliciousness of episode two attack of the clones. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, there, you can probably, I feel like it's subjective as to what, when you decide when act one starts and ends and act two and so on and so on. But just for mm-hmm. the sake of uh, conversation, because act two and episode two is very long and there's a lot that goes on in it. Um, so for us, for, we are doing act one up through the 38 minute and I believe 15 second mark. So basically right as Anakin and Padme are about to land on Naboo is where we're going to stop. Um, so that we're going to cover everything up to that in this episode uh, this week. Yeah, we we've essentially carved a little bit of Act Two uh, into Act One and Act Three, uh, just because Act Two is so dense and so long. Um, that way, we we don't have like a an hour long episode here, a two hour long episode <laughs> next week, and then yeah. a forty five minute episode the following week because it's all just end battle at that point. So <laughs> we're trying to even things out just a bit. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, um, Jason, the first thing that I always feel like we got to mention when you're talking the opening of Attack of the Clones is, of course, it's the only Star Wars movie that does what? It pans up. Oh, yes, it does. Why do you think it pans up? Why is George making that choice? Um, I... I mean, I think we're so used to it panning down that it panning up just kind of throws things off just a little bit. It's like, wait, what? What are you doing? You know, why are we doing this? It it, it automatically just puts everything a little bit on edge, I think, when you pan up like that. Because we're so used to just panning down and seeing something there uh, that going up is just a little bit unusual. And you're already kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah. Oh, I then I I mean I love the opening shot as it pans up and you know you get the new uh, senatorial um Naboo's uh ship along with the N1 fighters just doing just like these beautiful little rolls into the atmosphere of Coruscant. Um and uh, I mean to me the I and I'm sure there is I'm sure George has said before why he did this. But I, I, I mean, I'm with you, Jason. It just, it just turns everything on its head, and I think that's what Episode Two is really about to do. Phantom Menace had such a happy ending, and this is where everything is going to get turned on its head. Everything is going to get twisted, and then, of course, the very next opening shots are like we have that mystery music playing, accompanied with these visuals of descending into these very thick clouds. Like you, you have just the mm-hmm. points of the skyscrapers st- sticking out. So. You know, I mean, this movie opens in this yeah. era, this era of mystery and 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 almost um, sense of danger, oppression. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it opens with just telling us that this story is going to get twisted. Absolutely, and and I think one of the the 
the big surprising things is, is that they open up the movie, um, with, you know, for a brief second telling you that they might have killed a main character or at least severely injured her, Mm -hmm. um, with this attack on Senator Amidala's life. Obviously, you know, as you know, she's still using the whole handmade, you know, decoy thing, um, as we quickly find out, because Padme is actually piloting one of those escort fighters, um, which I always thought was cool that, you know, mm. she's she's really a jack of all trades. She's a senator, so she's well versed in politics. Uh, obviously, we've seen her her prowess on the battlefield, but she also can pilot a starfighter uh, well enough to protect her own starship as it comes into <laughs> to the capital. So, yeah. Yeah, um, it's a very explosive beginning. <laughs> mm. That's a good way to put it. Uh, that's definitely a good way to put it. Well, and I, I mean, I then love the scene where they're in uh, Palpatine's office. You know, he's sitting there across the table from the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy. And I mean, I've made this point several times over the, you know, the long tenure of the show, but. Just the fact that Yoda and Mace Windu cannot detect that he is the Sith Lord is just wild to me. Like, it's just, it is such a testament to Palpatine's power. I mean, Yoda even says in this scene, you know, the dark side of the force clouds everything. Impossible to see the future is. He says that right to the man who's doing the clouding on the other side (laughs) of the desk. And it's just... You know, when you sit back and think about it, it's mind-boggling. And how does Palpatine not keep like a a smirk off his face in that moment? I, it's it's ridiculous. So, yeah, the, the Jedi are admitting the biggest stumbling block and failure to the man who is attempting to disguise things from them. Mm-hmm. He knows from the horse's mouth it's working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he didn't already yeah. know, he knows now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I um I don't Jason, I don't know if you've ever read the Legacy of the Force uh now Legends EU stories. It it takes place after the New Jedi Order. So it's the stories about Jason Solo becoming Darth Kaidus. But in that particular series, one of the big force powers that's used a lot by Jason slash Darth Kaidus is this like ability in the force to hide yourself from the force. And I remember when I first read that series, I was like, oh, man, like, I wonder if that was something Palpatine was doing in episode two. Um, But yeah, again, all the same, you know, I mean, he is getting confirmation from them that, yep, what I'm doing works. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and this is part of what I like about Attack of the Clones is there is so much subtle um, world and plot building. Um, that goes on behind, you know, not necessarily behind the scenes, but sort of shrouded uh, from from you and our main characters. You know, Palpatine's strings are ever delicately being pulled throughout this entire movie, uh, and he's sitting there looking innocent and distraught the entire time, uh, so that you don't even really realize what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I like in this moment, too, there's Mace Windu points out the fact that kind of trying to remind the chancellor that if these negotiations don't work, 
The Jedi are not an army. They're not generals. They're not soldiers. Um, right. It's almost like a, it's a reminder to us, even the audience, what the role of the Jedi are um, and what it's and mm-hmm. what therefore it is not. And it is not to be generals on a, on a battlefield. Um, so I love that that is something pointed out by Mace right at the beginning of the story um, is that that is not a role that they can they can step into. But I think what's also kind of interesting with that admission by Mace Windu it also kind of points out that they're failing as peacekeepers, right? You know, like they're here kind of like throwing all this weight onto the chancellor, like negotiate, fix this, make this work. But in part, you know, you can almost wonder like, isn't this also kind of your job? Like, aren't you right? But it, I think it, it's part of the indictment of the Jedi of this era is they're so interwoven with the working of the Republic that they almost aren't credible negotiators because they're not, um, they have a bias, right? Like their their only end goal is to maintain the Republic as is. But it's like if they were true peacekeepers, they should be impartial. But it doesn't seem that they can be. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, of course, that's the order has been enmeshed within the the Republic for hundreds, if not thousands of years at this point. Um, so that's not necessarily any fault of the current council, unfortunately, um, you know, and we're seeing kind of how that get that, that gets married so closely in the high Republic a little mm-hmm. bit. So, yeah. Um, but I, I think it's interesting that you brought that up. I, I've always sort of assumed that the negotiations that the Jedi were kind of kept out of them mm. um, by Palpatine's cuts. Palpatine says, my negotiations will not fail. You know, they're his negotiations. Mm. Um, and, and so it almost seems like the Jedi are sort of being tapped out of it. Um, probably on the pretense of, of keeping them, you know, at least outwardly neutral mm. in a sense. Um, but it, it does kind of seem like, uh, you know, the, the Jedi are there, in Palpatine's offices in an advisory role, but they're not directly involved at all. Mm-hmm. And I always felt um, that that was designed by Palpatine in order to make sure that no peace was negotiated. So that's a, probably means it yeah. probably means Padme's not involved in the negotiations either. So. Right? Oh, what? A, yeah, what a great point, Jason. I, I never, never quite saw it that way. But you're right. And 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 even the way he delivers that line, my negotiations will not fail. Right? It's it's such a it's such a prideful statement of this is his. Mm-hmm. That's a great point, Jason. I, I really dig that. Um, yeah. And and then in this in this moment is Palpatine's opportunity to now set up his next the next piece in his puzzle which is getting anakin with padme and you know as she strolls in and the danger is made clear palpatine is like you should be protected by the jedi how about mass and i love that anakin doesn't get named right like i think that's just so brilliant Mm -hmm. i mean of course he's not like anakin's the padawan but he doesn't say how about master kenobi and padawans like he leaves anakin out of it Again, just just making it seem so innocent, like Master Kenobi, right? Your friend from 10 years ago. <laughs> right, right. Oh, but w- wasn't he the Jedi that saved you on Naboo? I've recalled meeting him all those years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's sort of the idea he, he's giving off here. But obviously, as we'll find out a little bit later, he has been talking with Anakin for many, many years on a very intimate level, which means Anakin has probably told him about his feelings about Padme. 
Oh yeah. Oh no question. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, and 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 this is this is definitely, you know, it seems innocent and it seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. But there's ulterior motives. Always with Palpatine. Yeah. Palpatine never does anything without something else uh getting served. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um uh, I, and then, you know, then we finally get to see Anakin and Obi-Wan as they, they ride the elevator. Um, and, uh, I actually watched act one the other day with the audio commentary on with George. And he mentioned how that is a, that was a, um, a reshoot that, that scene in the elevator, that was a reshoot that wasn't originally mm. in the movie, um, because he wanted to have a moment of them together separate from Padme, which I think makes sense. And I, and I enjoy this scene because, to me, there's there is such a one thing that I still like kind of bums me out about episode two is that Anakin and Obi-Wan do have such a contentious relationship through much of the story. Um, but I enjoy this scene because this is a moment where you do get to see them be a little silly together. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you get to see again, like the difference of their personalities, like Obi-Wan is very calm here. He's very stable, which is something Anakin's going to need, but Anakin just, he feels like a spring that's been, you know, just bunched together and is just ready to explode because he's just so mm-hmm. nervous about seeing Padme. Um, and, and Obi-Wan yeah. in a sense is the perfect wingman, just like, relax, take a deep breath, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it is yeah. a great moment that like. Obi-Wan is a lot more, he just appears so much more chill, um, a little bit more Qui-Gon-like, if you will. And Anakin is just so, like, pent up. Yeah, it's, I think it's a very essential scene to the movie um, because it does give us the glimpse into their relationship that, you know, it's not just teacher and student. It, It is, you know, there is a friendship, a camaraderie between these two. Uh, and, and that's something that we'll explore uh, obviously much heavily, much more heavily in the clone wars, but also at the beginning of revenge of the Sith, uh, we'll, we'll see that, uh, there, but you know, most of the relationship and most of their interaction together in this movie outside of this scene is very much, you know, very strict master and apprentice kind of stuff. And and if you didn't have this scene, you would think that Obi-Wan and Anakin really don't like each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's very, you know, it's just sort of this, they're all, they're both just frustrated with each other this entire time. Uh, but having this scene in here tells us, no, no, they, they really do enjoy each other's company. They really do care about each other. Um, and, and it's just the situation has kind of got them at each other's throats a little bit um, throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. And that's a good point, right? Like, and this is, this is an area I really want them to do more exploring with storytelling and they still aren't (laughs) Um, is between episodes one and two Anakin and Obi-Wan stories. I really Mm -hmm. want more of those. I'm so quick sidebar. I'm super excited. A week from today, we'll have the, uh, the brotherhood book come out, which is an immediate predecessor 
or excuse me, Amido sequel to episode two about Anakin. Yeah. One. But it's like, oh, that's that. I can't wait. I'm sure it's going to be great. But how about something in between one and two? <laughs> um, right. Uh, it t- aren't I being a typical Star Wars fan? I can never just be satisfied. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but no, but that is a great point, Jason. It's right. Just because like, we love and care about these characters so much absolutely. that we want we want to see them in in good situations because we know it just ends terribly for these two you know (laughs) but that is a great point right like i think probably the reason the tension is so riled up in the events of this movie is because of how personal it is for anakin specifically Mm -hmm. and how much he's going to push back because he's going to face some real emotional trauma in this story um but as they as they come into padme's apartment I love that it's like this brief episode one moment, both with Jar Jar being there just excited and super Jar Jar-y. And then you get a statement of Anakin's theme when Padme sees him. She's like, Annie, like, boy, you've grown. And as she says that, you hear a hint of the Anakin theme. And it's the only time you hear Anakin's theme outside of episode one. Um, So it is like there's just this brief moment of... That innocence that the last movie was all about, like we're like everything is still kind of okay right now, right in this room, right in this mm-hmm. moment, like hey, like all the good stuff that happened ten years ago, like hey, let's hold on to that because it's going to slip away very fast, <laughs> you know. It really is, uh, but yeah, it, it it's it, it is nice to have that that reflection of innocence here, you know, it, and it's sort of just a veneer, unfortunately, at this point because everything else is is dark and in shadows and things are moving and you know but here with these characters these old friends we get just a little bit of of a of a relief from all of that uh as we revisit uh you know good memories mm-hmm. so yeah and and yeah it's great to having jar jar be jar jar just i, yeah. I always love jar jar being jar jar <laughs> Misa so smiling to see you, sir. Yes. Looky, looky, Senator. Misa Palo's here. <laughs> Decent Jedi arriving. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, and, and, and then, of course, we the tension between Anakin and Obi-Wan immediately sets in because Anakin oh, yeah. is trying to... <laughs> Anakin is trying to be impressive. He's trying to assert that he's not Annie. He's Anakin. Jedi Anakin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but again, we get we do get a reminder in this scene though that Obi Wan is still very much the Obi Wan from Episode One, which is we will do exactly as the Council instructed, and you will learn your place, young one, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. it's just it's just gonna it's putting him right back in his place because for Obi Wan, their mission has been clearly defined by the Council, and that is what they will do, and that alone. Right. Yeah, it it's, you know, and and this is the the crux of a lot of the uh the tension and consternation between Obi-Wan and Anakin is Obi-Wan particularly in this movie, you know, and Phantom Menace uh is very much a uh, you know, a letter of the law or a letter of the mm-hmm. Jedi code yeah. type of Jedi. Uh he he loosens up a bit on that as we get through the clone wars and into revenge of the sith um but this is very much and i think that's in large part due to the fact that he's teaching you know you know if i expect anakin to obey the rules i have to obey them almost 
more than he does mm. uh, is kind of the idea I get sometimes. Um, but Anakin, Anakin isn't necessarily a rule. The rules are not rules. The rules are guidelines. Yeah. And Anakin likes to bend them or color outside the lines just a little bit. And uh, that's, that's kind of always this push and pull between these two characters. And we even see that, you know, as Obi-Wan even relaxes on, on the rules uh, a bit in the Clone Wars too, but Anakin just keeps going farther. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, and, but yeah, to, to go with your analogy of, of Obi-Wan being, you know, strict to the letter of the code, Anakin is faithful to the spirit of the code, if you will. Right. And I think that's a great way to, to distinguish the two of them and how they understand themselves to be Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and in, in, I guess in a, in a weird way, you would, I would almost contend that it's somewhere in the middle is the right way, right? Like the letter of the code is important because it helps to define, it helps to shape things. Um, mm-hmm. you know, rules are important in games or else things just become chaotic. Um, but also life is a very gray area. So you need to also sometimes follow the spirit of it, even if it means shedding some of the letters. So, but it's like, so yeah, like it's kind of somewhere in between, like it's funny because in a way, and, uh, I remember this from some, one of my favorite legends, Clone Wars novel was, um, dark rendezvous. It's a story about Yoda and Dooku. It's a phenomenal Mm. story. And we learn quite a bit about how the workings of the Jedi are, during the Clone Wars and how they try to match apprentices to masters that will balance them out, right? And that is kind of what's, I think, the aim of putting Anakin with Obi-Wan is Obi-Wan's, you know, the strict rule follower, Anakin's the flighty one. Let's put them together. They'll balance each other out. But in some ways, they they kind of have a hard time figuring out that balance. Um, yeah. But Yeah, uh, no, that's a very good point because... Um, you know, and and Anakin is almost like it, trying to be like Qui Gon, mm-hmm. um, and obviously, you know, it that analogy you you said between masters and apprentices works, you know, because Qui Gon was definitely, you know, the Maverick, yeah, um, and Obi Wan was very much still the rule follower, even more so in the Phantom Menace than he was here in Attack of the Clones, mm-hmm. um, and so. You've got Anakin sort of trying to emulate Qui-Gon, but not necessarily with the wisdom of Qui-Gon. So, uh, and I think that's, you know, obviously that's where uh, Anakin falls short a little bit. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so then we get a very uh, emotional balcony scene. Well, very emotional might be a stretch, but I love a good balcony <laughs> scene. And, you know, Obi-Wan recognizes that there's something really bothering Anakin. Um, and and, and I th- this is such a human moment. Like, you know, um, you look tired. You know, I think that is such a relevant topic 20 years later in 2022 as we watch this movie coming out of a two-year pandemic, right? Like, you look tired. It's been an exhausting couple of years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and Anakin doesn't sleep well because he's being tortured by these dreams about his mother. And I, I, I've always taken where this conversation goes is Anakin is annoyed that Obi-Wan doesn't have more helpful advice. So he says, like, I, I keep dreaming about my mother. Dreams pass in time. 
wow, that's some great advice. Thank you for that. <laughs> like, it kind of sucks. You know, I mean, yeah, that's uh, true. It, they do. But like Anakin, right? Like this is really weighing on his conscience in it. And for whatever reason, Obi-Wan's not equipped to know what to do with that. So I've always taken it that then Anakin immediately switches to, well, I much rather dream about Padme, almost as if to get a rise out of Obi-Wan. Um, do you read it like that or no? Uh, yeah, well, because, you know, he's, it's about his mother and, uh, Obi-Wan is, you know, he's trying to be helpful. He's trying to, to, you know, get Anakin to the point where, you know, he isn't consumed by his dreams, but he's just not doing it right. He's not doing it well, um, without taking Anakin's feelings into consideration about it. You know, he, his attempt is in the right place, but the execution is all wrong. Um, and because that kind of stings, Anakin changes the subject by saying, well, I'd much rather dream about Padme. Uh, and while it's probably true in this case, he's definitely using it as sort of a, you know, as jab at Obi-Wan. Like, you know, oh, come on. You know, let, let's let's stop this. And I'd much rather dream about Padme, and you yeah. know, just get Obi Wan off of this subject and on to another one, so I don't have to hear, you know, so I don't have to think about my mother anymore. So I, I think is kind of where Anakin's going, uh, and obviously that changes the subject very efficiently um, <laughs> because then they talk about Padme and then the Senate, and almost miss the fact that there's Cahoons about to, you know sting padme to death um so <laughs> yeah I, I mean i do i i just love how anik anik and right you know the way he opens up though about padme and and just wanting to, to dream about her obi-wan knows exactly what anakin is thinking you know um and and then it's just again so quick to try to shut it down like you've made a commitment and it's a commitment not easily broken right um and I don't know. I mean, like part of me appreciates Obi-Wan doesn't shame him for it. Like he's not like that, you know, like that's inappropriate Anakin or like, how dare you? It's it's just like you've made this particular commitment and this particular commitment precludes those kind of relationships. So really think about this before you just be all rash about it. Right. So I do think in a way, again, kind of as we were saying earlier, like Obi-Wan is the level head. He's the he is the anchor and he's trying to anchor Anakin in the sense of like. I get that you have those feelings. I actually just recently rewatched the episode with Clovis where Obi-Wan goes to Anakin's like room and he's like, mm. you know, these feelings are natural. You know about me as a teen. Like I, we've talked about this in the past, Jason, but like always curious what would have happened if Obi-Wan in this moment shared with Anakin the story about Satine. And, you know, obviously he doesn't because that story didn't exist yet. <laughs> um, but even, I mean, I think it even would make story sense not to tell Anakin now because I think Anakin is in such a brash stage that that would almost give I feel like give Anakin deeper permission, right? Like, exactly. Oh, yeah. cool. You had one. Cool. Why can't I? <laughs> you know? I, exactly. Yeah. No. I. That is exactly where I was going with that. Is you know this that story is not is not for this moment here in Attack of the Clones. It, if he if he says that Anakin's going to go okay cool and just you know. That then that's going to be all she wrote, and yeah. Obi Wan's not going to have any chance to try and you know teach the fortitude that he's trying to impart onto Anakin uh, and the the ability to control those thoughts and emotions 
that Obi-Wan thinks Anakin needs. So, um, but yeah, and <laughs> it's funny because in the Clone Wars, that story is basically forced to be told, uh, right <laughs> during their situation. So, but yeah, <laughs> I'll handle the droids. You go save your girlfriend, Anakin. She's not my, <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's so good. It's so very good. <laughs> but, uh, well, and then as you said, they, they divulge then into a political conversation because Obi-Wan is also trying to point out Padme is a politician. Be wary of that. Mm-hmm. And when Palpatine gets indicted, like just slightly by Obi-Wan, notice how quickly Anakin is just like the chancellor doesn't appear to be corrupt. Right? Like he's just he's such a defender of Palpatine. And, and I that one simple little line is even just enough to kind of indicate like, ooh, Anakin's already just so in his corner. Oh yeah, yeah. Anakin and Palpatine are are buddies, uh, and in a dangerously too close way um, already at this point, which is is a little unnerving to see. Uh, but of course, Obi Wan, you know, what is he going to do when the Chancellor requests to see your Padawan? How do you say no? <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> But you know, you know, Palpatine is a politician. I've noticed him very. You know, he, he he tries to reason again, and Anakin doesn't listen to reason. Anakin listens to emotions and feelings, um, and that's just the difference between these two people. Is is Obi Wan is reasoned and thoughtful, and Anakin is brash and impulsive, and that's why they work well together. But but also, also why they on. they. They fight. <laughs> yeah. And if I may venture a very unholy thing on, on Star Wars Day, and, and, and this is coming from a very limited knowledge of Star Trek, but they have a bit of a Spock and Kirk relate because Spock is all reason, mm. all head. Kirk is a very brash, emotional character, right? So almost yeah. maybe – again, I am not a Star Trek guy. I'm, I know a lot of folks out there that listen to us probably also enjoy Star Trek. You can probably attest to that better than I can, but – Again, just kind of similar. Spock is the, you know, it's all about logic and reason. And Kirk is a very mm-hmm. impetuous, emotional character. Um, Absolutely. Uh, I would imagine it's similar, but I I couldn't tell you for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me neither. And and I, how dare I on Star Wars Day? Um, <laughs> how dare you, Carl? Uh. But, um, but then we, of course, get like just one of the coolest chase scenes, in my opinion, ever in Star Wars. Uh, I mean, just the visuals are stunning. And I, I still, to this day, wish they would give us a theatrical 3D release of that. Um, oh, they, they showed yes. it at one of the celebrations. I don't believe either of us went. Um, but they did do it at, I want, was it Celebration Anaheim in 2015 that they did it? Or was it the one I maybe think prior it to was. that? I think it was because the Phantom Menace had come out, I think, like the year before in okay. 3D. Um, which was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I was disappointed that more people didn't go see it because, you know, we never got to see a, a theatrical release of any of the other movies in 3D. Right. Uh, they exist. Yeah, they do. They they exist. The They're out there. there. Yeah. Um, I, it's just disappointing that we didn't get to see it. So, um, For yeah. Sure. I, I think we saw bits and pieces of it. Over the last couple celebrations, like when we would sneak, you know, slip mm-hmm. in for a you know minute or two, but we never got to see this chase in three D. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I just the, this 
you know, as, as I've infamously said over the years on the show, I'm not a big chase scene person, but I thoroughly mm-hmm. enjoy the, the chase through Coruscant. Um, and again, there's, there's such good banter between Anakin and Obi-Wan during this scene where you do get, a, I mean, you get a very clear sense that Obi or Anakin is just, he's just very proud. Like he's, He's so he's, you know, a little overconfident in himself, you know, comparing himself to being as good a duelist as Yoda. Um, And he's just, you know, he's just so confident and borderline cocky that Obi-Wan, I almost feel like feels it's his duty to make sure Anakin stays humble, to keep him grounded again, to keep him anchored. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I think where some of the tension, though, lies in that sort of relationship is the fact that. And, and this is a through line for Anakin throughout all of Attack of the Clones. And and this is what I appreciate about his character, even if it's not perfectly executed. But his character is one who is just so frustrated. And what frustrates him is, is he knows he is the chosen one. And anytime he tries to like, you know, kind of just showboat in any way, Obi-Wan is quick to be like, stop it. Stop it. Right. So like, no yeah. wonder he feels so confined by Obi-Wan. Um, like even in this chasing, like he's having a great time and, and um, Obi-Wan just, just sees it all as nuts. <laughs> well, uh, to be fair, it is a little bit nuts. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, a- Anakin is having fun. Uh, Anakin is, is having a good time. Uh, and, and, you know, Piloting is one place he really excels. Oh yeah, and uh, this is you know now this is pod racing, um, if you will. Uh, so, but it, it's it's something where Anakin excels and Obi Wan doesn't, and I think that's kind of a big thing to to point out because uh, you know Obi Wan's Obi Wan's a fine pilot, but Anakin is an exceptional pilot. And, you know, one to the point where, you know, he can do just about anything uh, in in a ship or a speeder uh, that's, you know, nobody else could could do. Uh, and and he loves it. He thrives off of the the adrenaline that that gives him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it makes him a bit cocky because this is this is his element. Uh and and Obi Wan is just uncomfortable because Anakin does things that are so daring and insane that he's like, "Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" You know, more <laughs> out of like, you know, "Where's the brakes on this thing?" Rather than <laughs> uh, you're showboating too much. Yeah. So <laughs> if, if this was uh, if this was in our world, this would be like Obi Wan and Anakin. They're out and Anakin's taking driving classes, and you just see Obi Wan stuffing his foot at, at the the fake brake on his side. <laughs> You know? Yes, exactly. Or like exactly. when you go out, Anakin's with your... doing donuts. Yeah, Anakin's doing donuts in the parking lot, and Obi Wan's like, "Whoa, stop!" <laughs> Holding on for dear life, trying to not to get thrown out of the convertible or whatever. So, <laughs> uh, and of course, the speeder—the color of the speeder—is an homage to American Graffiti and George's own very first car, um, mm-hmm. which is again just very cool to have in there. Um, but then they get to the Outlander Club. And we have the, the only time in this movie that I can recall where Obi-Wan gives any sort of instruction about the force. 
<laughs> to Anakin. Mm. Um, you know, Anakin's running headlong in. Patience. Use the force. Think. Um, right. And mm-hmm. again, it's it's. I guess my through line for Obi Wan in, in this movie will probably be he's the anchor. He's trying to you know slow down, yeah. concentrate, connect to the force. Like stop just being so reactionary and so impulsive, and actually slow down attune yourself to the force and then let's move forward. And as I was watching it the other day, I just gave me such strong um, lightsaber lost uh, vibes from clone wars. When Ahsoka's with master Sanube, you know, (laughs) if you don't slow down, slow down, you don't slow down. You might not find what you're looking for. (laughs) Uh, Sanube is so good. So Uh, good. I, every time I think about that episode, though, the the image of uh, him driving the speeder bike through traffic like super oh slow is the first image yes. that pops into my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Oh, but but I do. And I, I mean, I appreciate that Obi-Wan is trying in this moment to just remind Anakin like, well, hold on a second there, bud. You're a Jedi like a Jedi is someone who's attuned to the force. Like, slow down. Let's 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 pace this out a bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. and what kind of jumped out to me in in a new way was, you know, this weapon is your life. And for Anakin, I don't know how much he holds that to be true. Um, and what I mean by that is, so if the lightsaber is a Jedi, like it's an expression of your identity as a Jedi, which Star Wars has established very well. And especially in light of Clone Wars and all that, that is definitely true. But for Anakin to somewhat be flippant with it, it, to me, it's kind of a statement of Anakin isn't, again, as concerned with the trappings of what it means to be a Jedi. Because, again, he's more about the spirit of what it means to be a Jedi. Like, if I lose that lightsaber, I'll make another one, right? Like, I feel like is how Anakin mm-hmm. would kind of respond to it. Maybe not quite so flippant. Like, I'm, I would, again, I would still love the story of how Anakin gets his crystal. Um, I think that'd be a great story. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know... Just like it just struck me like the way like for Obi-Wan to say that, I think that's very true for him. Like there's something so sacred about his lightsaber, um, which could probably even indicate why he essentially rebuilds the exact same lightsaber he lost from episode one. Um, You know, so for Obi-Wan, like that, that letter of the code about the sanctity of one's lightsaber is something Obi-Wan really holds to. Whereas again, Anakin just, to me, it felt like, again, not flipping in the sense like he doesn't care, but doesn't, doesn't hold it to the same degree that Obi-Wan might. Yeah. There's a ceremonial aspect to it. Um, and a, a, a sort of tradition that Obi-Wan was raised in and, you know, and, and, feels very deeply and very, very closely um, where Anakin grew up as a kid who just thought laser swords were cool, you know? (laughs) Uh, So like the rest of us here, uh, you know, and so he's still kind of learning the, you know, the, the, the honor and respect, I think to a degree uh, of what a lightsaber is. I mean, he obviously knows there's a difference between knowing in your head and actually being able to, uh, walk that out. And, you know, so many of us have things in our lives where we're like, yeah, we know that's the right thing to do or the right thing to say, but sometimes we just don't do that. Um, so, uh, and I feel like it's sort of that way with Anakin sometimes. Um, like he knows the right thing, but he gets caught up in the moment and in the emotions and in his feelings. And that's what 
what drives him. That's what pulls him along is those things. Mm-hmm. Um, is, and, and the lightsaber ends up being just a tool in those situations um, more so than anything else. Great point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love the outlander club. I love the look of it. I love that. It's all a practical set. Um, and uh, one of my favorite little side things is the fact when Anakin is off on his own, like looking for Zam Wessel, uh, he gets checked out by quite a few of the ladies. I love that. Like, it's just a nice <laughs> indicator that Anakin is a good looking dude. Cause yeah, I mean, I think Hayden Christensen, the really handsome, handsome guy. Um, so the fact mm-hmm. that they actually give us a shot with like these ladies really checking him out as he walks by, I'm like, yes, there's, <laughs> yes, we all recognize he's a good looking guy. <laughs> he may be in he's, Jedi he, robes, he, but that he is, that he is. Uh, and while Anakin's getting checked out, Obi-Wan's, you know, convincing, um, you know, a death stick dealer to go home and rethink his life. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I will say that the funny thing is, uh, just sort of a side note, um, Elon Slees Bagano, who is that character, the death stick dealer, uh, is a, uh, his species is called a Balasar, and that is the species species i am playing in my star wars role-playing game uh that i'm doing with uh kyle baka and some of his friends so uh awesome. yeah I, i'm playing a you know and he's sort of a a, a computer techie so which is really fun i love but it yeah that's great um <laughs> and, and i mean o- obi-wan's little like you don't want to sell me death sticks um that moment i want to sell you this you want to go home and rethink your life I want to go home and rethink my life. <laughs> it's very weak minded. <laughs> it gives me a little bit of, again, this is a window into the fact that he's not the same strict Obi-Wan of episode one. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's kind of playing with the force there. It, it's similar to like Qui-Gon take, taking advantage of the chance cube with Watto um, mm-hmm. or speeding things along with Boss Nass. Um, you know, Obi-Wan is just, Okay, this guy is living a life that's not so good for him, so I'm just going to mind trick him and hope that it gets better. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but note he does it when Anakin is not there. Mm, good point. That's a yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think if Anakin was there, he may have been a bit more subtle or might have turned around and said do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Right, right. Um yeah, I, oh. but um, yeah, what was I going to say? Oh, um, the, uh, so the way this, <laughs> this confrontation ends though, one of my favorite lines in all of star Wars is Jedi business. Go back to your drinks. <laughs> I said that line so as often as I could in 2002. I mean, I was 16. I didn't drink like alcohol. Um, but I would like, if I was at a family party and there was like people drinking, I'd just be like, Jedi business, go back to your drinks. People just like, like family members <laughs> just look at me like, that's Carl. Um, <laughs> I still do that all the time. I just, it just, it's just so cool to me. And I um, expect you to say it at your, Oh, I expect uh, to say May the fourth party tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, there's just such like a casual flippancy to it. And I, and I do feel like Anakin feels cool. Like I'm a Jedi, you know? Um, and the people are just kind of like, okay, <laughs> right? Like, right. It, all right. We will. 
it's probably not the first time something like this has happened in this club. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like when Obi Wan lops off Doctor Evazan's arm or Ponda Baba's for that matter, and the band just immediately yeah. starts playing again. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. You know, it, it's it's a rough and tumble crowd. You know, you've got either I'm sure you got Jedi sometimes. More often than not, you get police droids or whatever that show up and you know cart somebody away or whatever. But yeah, this this happens. Mm-hmm. You know. But you're right. Anakin does probably feel pretty cool because, you know, he's always ever all he's ever wanted to be is a Jedi growing up as a kid. Now he is a Jedi. So come on. That yeah. makes him cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, then the council gives them their assignments. Not much to it. I do appreciate that Anakin kind of sticks up for a second, though. Like, hold on. Like Padme really cares about this thing. I don't think she's just going to up and leave. And they're just like, nope, do it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, talk to talk to the chancellor. He he'll he'll get her to go. Yeah, yeah. And True. and then there, we have that great little moment with Anakin and Palpatine. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a moment where we really kind of get to see a little bit behind the curtain for Palpatine and kind of what strings he's been pulling all this time, you know, he's, it's not a professional Jedi to, to politician conversation. They're very much a mentor mentee, um, you know, kind of fatherly relationship. The two of them have there. Yeah. Uh, and, and Palpatine is, is, you know, ostensibly building Anakin up by saying, you know, finally given you a assignment, your patience has paid off. I foresee you becoming the greatest of all Jedi, even more powerful than Master Yoda. You know, he says these things ostensibly to just, you know, encourage and bolster Anakin's spirits and, and, you know, but it's little seeds that he just, he just keeps planting that he will pull on and tug on and nurture, you know, until they come to fruition at the right time that he needs them. Mm. And, and it's just so insidious, if you'll forgive the pun. Um, but, <laughs> but you know, it's what he's been doing this whole time, not only with Anakin, but with the Republic and the Jedi Council. You know, mm-hmm. it's those kinds of things that he's been, you know, working. And this is just the moment that we really get to see him in action yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Um, and... and- to me, like two, two, I think it's the, my two big takeaways from this little scene is the fact that, you know, so they finally give me an assignment implies that Anakin has been complaining to Palpatine, right? Like Anakin confides Absolutely. in him. Um, like you said earlier, like there's a very good chance that he's talked to Palpatine about Padme and his feelings about Padme. Um, so, you know, that just immediately indicates that Palpatine is somebody Anakin can trust in a way that he can't trust Obi-Wan or any other Jedi. Um, And I think what's so, and that's, that's like such a perfect way for Palpatine to groom him because again, Anakin is a frustrated character, understands he's the chosen one, but doesn't understand what that means. Isn't helping, isn't being helped to unpack what that might mean. But then you go to a guy like Palpatine who does like present like an uncle or father figure and is essentially like, you're great. I think you're wonderful. Like he's giving him the encouragement that Anakin obviously feels he's lacking. 
Um, mm-hmm. So Palpatine knows exactly what to say. Like you said, he's planting those seeds. Um, but just in that little scene, I mean, it tells us so much about their relationship. Yeah. And, and it's close in a way that's, you know, obviously we as the audience know is not healthy. Um, but you know, it's, it's not every day that a, a Padawan has the attention and ear of the chancellor of the Republic, you know, that's a special position to be in for Anakin. And it makes me wonder if Anakin realizes just how special it is sometimes because he, he treats it so casually, you know, because he and Palpatine are so comfortable together by this point. You know, I sometimes wonder if Anakin understands just what a privileged and special position he has. Mm. Because he's a very innocent person when it comes to the realm of politics and, uh, you know, moving through the upper echelons of the Republic. Like, he's kind of got a, you know, uh, an all access yeah. hall pass being a Jedi. Yeah. Uh, plus, he's, you know, the favorite, essentially, of the Chancellor. So, uh, and. I think Anakin just sometimes probably had a bit of whiplash going from being slave to this that sometimes I don't know if he realizes how how special that position is mm-hmm. uh because he like like I said he, he seems to treat it almost casually in some cases. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um great point. Well, and then and then we kind of get the the mirror scene of this where you have Mace, Obi-Wan and Yoda um, and and Obi-Wan is sharing his frustrations, his frustrations that Anakin isn't ready for this. He doesn't really go into the specifics why this particular mission unsettles him. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, it's just it is interesting to note that, again, to put these scenes right next to each other like that shows that. Anakin doesn't feel quite as comfortable sharing all of his frustrations with his Jedi peers because he obviously doesn't feel heard or seen in in the, in his, in the way he wants to be. But Obi-Wan right. doesn't feel that way. Obi-Wan clearly, I mean, he he's like, I love your, the way you compare that Jason of how like, like what kind of what a privileged relationship Anakin has with the Supreme Chancellor. Um, but here you have Obi-Wan talking to the grandmaster of the, the Jedi order as if it's just a, a, a pal in a way. Um, so Obi-Wan also has a very close relationship with somebody and also isn't afraid to share his frustrations, but again, does, uh, kind of share only so much. Um, but the, what really grabbed me with this scene, um, in light of having read the high, you know, all the way up to current status of the high Republic, when o- when Yoda says how the Jedi have become arrogant, that is exactly what they are not in the High Republic, right? They are such a humble people. Like so much of the High Republic stories is about these Jedi who are constantly aware of the fact that they've made mistakes and they're trying to improve on their mistakes. They There's a humility to the Jedi of the High Republic that is so absent in the prequel era. And again, like... I feel like that's where High Republic is going to skew us with the Jedi. Um, but I really appreciated that that comment even more now because of High Republic. Like, and and 
Yoda recognizes that the Jedi around him are very different than the Jedi that he was running around with 200 years prior or even further back, right? Like there mm. was such a humility to the Jedi that is so lacking right now. And, and in a way, that's almost... I feel like in the, this scene is also Obi-Wan shares his frustration about Anakin going off on a mission he doesn't feel he's ready for. Yoda shares his frustration with the state of the Jedi Order being arrogant. And Mace kind of shares his frustration about what this whole chosen one prophecy. Like, well, remember, if he's the chosen one, he's the only one who can bring the balance back. It's it's just like, what the hell does this mean? Right? Like all of them in a way are just it's like a frustration circle for the three of them, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone's just sort of going, ah, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like what we're all doing here. Like, well, what, what is going on here? Why, why is there this assassination attempt? What's going on? And, you know, now Anakin has to go, you know, collect Padme, who is definitely not happy about leaving the Capitol. Mm-hmm. She's pissed. Yes. <laughs> Oh, yes. She, I oh. mean, this is the whole reason she came, is to to be there to actively oppose this military creation act. And, right, like, she reluctantly, like, gives over her her position um, to Jar Jar. And when I say reluctantly, I don't think it's because she, like, she, it's not like she hates Jar Jar or anything, but she she understands this bill. She understands the ins and outs of it. And she, she's confident in her oration skills. Like she knows she's the one who needs to be here to go after this. Like, yes, Jar Jar can be there to cast her vote for the nays, but that's about all he can do. Right? Like he's not, Mm -hmm. he can't, he can't be a champion against it in the way she can. Um, so she is so frustrated in the scene. And so like you said, she's so angry. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do not like that. As soon as she's finished this with Jar Jar, you know, and you can tell she's annoyed, not mm-hmm. not with Jar Jar, but at the situation, right. you know, because uh, she and Jar Jar are friends. Obviously, they, they are working together after all these all this time. Um, and she's probably a mentor to him, you know, in terms of, of politics and public speaking. Uh, but he is not the eloquent, you know, champion of peace that she is Mm -hmm. and as you said this is the reason she came back to coruscant is to make sure that this bill didn't pass uh and that someone could could eloquently put that forth uh, in the senate and and now she is being removed from the board and she can't stand it uh, and as soon as she's done talking with Jar Jar, she turns to Anakin and just snaps at him. And she's like, I do not like this idea of hiding. She's just like, almost like this is your fault. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, kind of the attitude, uh, which isn't fair to her, to Anakin. But, you know, he's the one who's coming to collect her and and has to escort her to Naboo and everything. And so I do not like this idea of hiding. You know, th- Why are you doing this to me? You know, <laughs> so. yeah, 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 and uh, well, and <laughs> and then you know, she she he he says something somewhat wise, you know, about we have to let go of our pride and do what is requested of us, and in just that quick statement, I do think it like it kind of pauses her for a moment to recognize, like, oh, this isn't maybe this isn't Annie anymore, right? Like, there is something mm-hmm. so 
like you've grown up and she, she, she recognizes that. Um, and, and then, and then it's almost like Anakin just then crumbles right back. <laughs> crumbles. Oh, yeah. Cause like, then again, he just, he just shares his frustrations with what it's like to be Obi-Wan's Padawan. He's complaining. Um, and then she tries he's to pr- pouting. He's pouting. He's- yeah. Howding. Yeah. He wanted to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Exactly. <laughs> um and and then Don't try to grow up too fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, so she she tries to calm him down, bring him back down. I mean, that's clearly what Anakin needs. Anakin needs people that are anchors. He needs people that are gonna keep him calm because he's so high emotion. Um Exactly. And then he makes googly eyes at her and she's uncomfortable. Rightfully so. Right. And and I think because she she can recognize that he's really drawn to her, which, again, like you don't really get this at this point in the movie, but you certainly get it again from the novel that she is a little bit drawn to just how raw he is, like drawn to her, like it's attractive. Mm-hmm. So, but again, like her, it makes me uncomfortable is it's kind of similar to what Obi-Wan does is no. <laughs> remind reminder uh, kind of of his place in his station in life like this ain't gonna happen um and i think it's also important for padme too because it's just like he's way too impetuous i've got to be the adult here um yeah so and of course the funny thing is is you know there's only five years difference between the two of them in age uh but she is so much more mature than anakin is you know it, it it's almost worlds apart obviously because she's She's been groomed to to lead her people uh, at the age of 14 years old, you know, uh, rule a planet as a teenager um, and then represent it in the Senate as a as a young adult. When most people that age are going to college and trying to figure out what they want to do with the rest of their life, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) so she's kind of been on a fast track um, and Anakin is is feeling his maturity, but as with most young adult males, still, you know, there's still that impetuous, uh, immature side that tends to, to, to kind of come out at the most inopportune times. Um, (laughs) if if anybody was a, was a teenager, young adult, um, they, they would know that, Uh, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely an interesting situation. And of course now we're like, Oh, and they're going to have to be together. Just the two of them for the foreseeable future. Hmm. Right. No way this can go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, as they, as they say goodbye to their colleagues to head off on the refugee ship. Oh, I I just, I want to know Obi-Wan's, you know, Padme kind of, speaks up on behalf of Anakin, like, oh, we'll have to see how good my Jedi protector is in case she's really under threat. Obi-Wan, like, Anakin gets a quick smile on his face, then immediately, Anakin, don't do anything without first consulting either myself or the council. <laughs> like, just right. immediately puts that leash back on Anakin, right? Like, oh, yes. he's finally going to go off on his own adventure, but not really. And and what it made me think of, and this is something I meant to bring up earlier, but because it's just more of a general theme of the first act of the movie, the amount of times Anakin says, yes, master, I should have actually counted it, but I, I was keeping count. I think it's at least six, six or seven times in the first 40 minutes of the movie. 
a former slave says yes master a lot and again like i understand that that is a it, it's a it's a it's a statement of respect um you know for his master but i just like i remember i was this was like uh, like last summer or something i was on a long car ride listening to just the audio of attack of the clones and it really hit me i'm like oh my gosh he says yes master a lot <laughs> um and i can't i personally just can't help but think like that's got to get under his skin a little bit i mean he was somebody was his actual master um and while i'm not saying they're the same because they certainly aren't like a jedi's master is not his master um it's just interesting that he says that a lot you know it is interesting. I, I'm not sure, you know, what exactly to make of it, but it is just, uh, you know, a point to contemplate at some, you know, sometimes. And, and it probably only rankles Anakin when he's upset. You know, it, it's probably not something he really thinks about that much at this point. But it, when maybe when he's upset or when he's thinking about his mother, you know, maybe then it comes out and it kind of like just irks him a little bit. But you know, I. I do want to touch on the point where, you know, you said Obi-Wan, you know, putting Anakin back on the leash, you know, Anakin is ready for this assignment to get on on his own, to, to do his own, to, to, to be out there without Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is less so. Obi-Wan still has to learn how to let go of Anakin. Um, you know, obviously that's a, a lesson that Yoda tries to impart to Anakin in Revenge of the Sith is learning to let go. In this moment, Obi-Wan is having to learn to let go of Anakin, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is difficult, you know, <laughs> as as he and Typho stand there and watch, you know, the two best dressed peasants in the galaxy um, walk to their refugee ship. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Obi-Wan says to Typho, I do hope he doesn't do anything foolish um, just because he's so nervous about you know, Anakin's headstrong uh, nature. And Typho's just like, I'd be more worried about her doing something than him. Because yeah. Padme's willful. She she knows her mind and will not let anyone stop her when she has something in mind of what she wants to do. So <laughs> she's a bit more uh, professional, I suppose, about those, those emotions and, and thoughts than Anakin is. Uh, but in a sense, the two of them are very similar. They're very different in some ways, but they're very similar in others. Uh, so I think that's, it's just something that we, we should probably put a pin in for, uh, act two. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Um, well then we get to go see our pale decks. Oh, he's the best. Some nice levity. Uh, And, you know, I I feel like we we talked about this a bit pretty recently, but I just I love that Obi-Wan has friends outside the council and and outside the order. Right. That's to me the most important scene or the most important part of the scene for me is just the fact that he's he's going to somebody because the the temple analysis droids aren't able to get it done. So he's like, well, I know I know this this guy who has all sorts of knowledge. I'm going to just go see him. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. He's, you know, just one of my favorite, you know, side characters from this movie. I, I honestly wouldn't mind at some point getting an insight into some of his adventures, 
because obviously Dex, you know, has seen he's seen more than just the world. He's seen a big part of the galaxy in order to be able to uh, tell Obi-Wan about the Kamino saber dart when he was prospecting on Subterrell beyond the outer rim, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's a fun plug. Uh, Apparently the, the novel again, that comes out next week titled brotherhood immediately after the events of episode two, apparently Dex is in it, which is going to be great. I don't, oh, I don't think he's a big yes. don't think he's a big part at all, but uh, I think we're gonna have a scene with Dex, which is exciting. I'm excited. I'm very happy about that. Any any excuse to visit Dex again is a good reason. Agreed. Um, Agreed. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, I think what I again so- somewhat similar to earlier, where we have the Anakin and Palpatine scene pushed up against the Obi Wan Mason Yoda scene. You go from Dex's diner to the library, to Jocasta New. Dex and Jocasta mm-hmm. could not be more different. Dex Oof. is a man of wisdom, right? He's a man of the galaxy, somebody who has lots of lived experience. The impression I get from Jocasta is she's never experienced the world outside of her books. <laughs> and and not to belittle that, like I love reading, I love a good library. But uh, as Indiana Jones says in the most um, misunderstood Indiana Jones movie, Chris came on the crystal skull, get out of the library. As he says to a kid, as he crashes through on a motorcycle, who's just reading one of his class, one of his students. Anyway, sorry, sidetrack. Yes. Um, but yeah, like <laughs> no, I, I'm 100% in, in agreement with you there, sir. Yeah. Um, but, but Jocasta knew is just like, you know, right. She just immediately is, is basically offended that Obi-Wan would think that there is some form of knowledge that the, the archives is lacking. Um, so again, a nice reminder of where the Jedi are at, you know, it, you know, the, it's a flaw, arrogance, a flaw far more common among Jedi, even the older, more experienced ones mm-hmm. like Jocasta knew, um, you know, it, it is though a very interesting point, uh, because as you said, you know, she, she gets very upset. If an item does not exist in our records, it does not exist. But you still have ringing in your head uh, Dexter Jetster saying, you know, I would think you Jedi would have more respect for the difference between knowledge and uh, (laughs) wisdom, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's like he's a greasy spoon diner cook. You know, he runs this diner. He's traveled the galaxy. He's a man of the world, but he still has more valuable information than the keeper of the Jedi archives. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just a very interesting dichotomy there. Um, yeah. And I love it. Yeah. Again, like the fact, that I those, love it. The fact that those are two scenes mushed together is perfect. Yes. Um, and then off onto the refugee ship where probably one of my favorite deleted star or not deleted, but bloopers from all of star Wars is when they're shooting the scene and Hayden takes a spoonful of the soup and he just goes, Oh, it's hot. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> you ever seen this? It's yeah. so funny. I love it. Um, but, uh, yeah, in this scene, uh, I actually really appreciate how Padme points out the restrictive life of the Jedi code. Right. Must be hard having sworn your life to the Jedi, not being able to visit the places you like or do the things you like. Right. She doesn't get to say much more than that. Well, that's all she says. But and, and, I, and I don't interpret it as like Padme 
showing a lack of respect for Jedi. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just more of she recognizes this is a person relatively her age um, who has a very confined lifestyle because of the Jedi code. And she's just pointing out that must be difficult. Right. And and it's an invitation for Anakin to, to, to talk. But rather than it, it, go ahead. It it is it is sort of a a uh, a recognition of the difficulty of the choices and the commitment that he's made. You know, it it it's admirable to her in some respects because you know because it's not something mm-hmm. that she's doing. You know, but it is a, a a high bar to commit yourself to, and whether or not she's part of it doesn't really matter. But she she still has some respect for that, and she's trying to get his sort of. Uh, his his opinions on it, his take on it, and, and trying to open up, you know, how he feels about it. And he kind of, as you were about to say, I think, just kind of takes it a little sideways and turns it on its head just a bit, twists it in a way so that he's happy with it, but doesn't necessarily line up with the way that the Jedi Code would have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, again, going back to something we, you know, we've been talking about this this whole time is that for Anakin, the Jedi code is something you keep in spirit more than by the letter. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I, by the way, I just want to second, like I, I, I really enjoy your, your perception of Padme, not necessarily belittling it, but respecting it. Right. So, and I mm-hmm. never saw it as her disrespecting, but that's, that is also a great thing is, is recognizing that it's restrictive and difficult and wow, that's really admirable. You're doing this. Um, so great point. Um, and then Anakin gets a moment to kind of express, you know, in his kind of young, naive, optimistic, kind of in love with Padme way of defining what a Jedi is. As a Jedi, you know, they're encouraged to love, you know. But again, he's talking about it from this unconditional, selfless expression, which is not the same type of love he's starting to feel for Padme, um, which it should not be shamed by the Jedi, but it is. Um it is by the prequel era Jedi. It is not in the High Republic, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it is interesting though that Anakin takes this opportunity to kind of shape his narrative of what he's doing as a Jedi. Yeah, yeah, and it's. <laughs> I think he's being a little, having a little bit of a double meaning with Padme here. Obviously, you know, he is sort of. He does believe this to some extent, you know, that mm. the Jedi are encouraged to love. He he does, I think, actually believe that in 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 some respect. But he's also being a bit cheeky with her, a bit sort of like tongue in cheek, just kind of testing the waters, uh, because he does have this deep, you know, emotional feeling for Padme that he is trying very hard to contain uh and i think in a in a sense he's opening a door there to see how padme will react to it Mm. and see if she will let him walk through that door Mm. um he he is testing the waters for sure um but you know so there's a bit of a I, i he's definitely talking on two levels there he does believe it to the letter of what he's saying. Mm. But, you know, he, he doesn't always stick to the letter. He sticks to the spirit and he's giving himself 
some significant wiggle room in that regard uh, for what he really would like to do. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, the last scene we're going to look at for Act 1 is a pretty wonderful one, and it's Obi-Wan now going to Yoda for some final advice. So he gets... He gets his facts from Dexter. Jocasta is useless. And then he goes to Yoda and inadvertently some younglings. Um, and we just get this really magical moment where Yoda helps him figure it all out because of the wonderful mind of a child. Mm. Um, and my piece about this scene that I love so much is just getting to see Yoda training younglings. We get to really see a delighted Yoda. Like this is clearly what he wants to be doing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I remember when when I first saw the movie twenty years ago, uh, I was like, okay, I guess maybe this is kind of George's way of saying, well, yeah, of course Obi Wan was trained by Yoda. Everyone was, <laughs> right? Um, almost like a bit of retconning, if you will. Um, but something I've loved that the High Republic has introduced is the fact that much of the High Republic stuff we've gotten so far is is mostly Yoda off on adventures with younglings because that's what he wants to be doing. He's actually taken a step away from the council so that he can do more stuff with younglings away from Coruscant. Uh, and I mean, this little scene is like just it, it to me, it just hits even better now because it's like this is exactly what Yoda wants to be doing. Um this is what yeah. he feels called to do as a Jedi. So so I love that. And I love that he's just so mystified by the wonder of children. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's you know, 870-odd years at this point old. You know, he uh, he's ancient beyond anything these kids can comprehend already. Uh, and I think part of why he likes teaching children is because it reminds him that even after this many years of being a Jedi, not only just being a Jedi, but being a Jedi master, um, you know, he still is open every day that he teaches these, these younglings to wonder and imagination and curiosity and the simple way that they can reach conclusions without overcomplicating things. And it's a reminder that Yoda uses to keep himself humble uh, in many respects, I think. Uh, and and like you said, he, he just seems so happy and content to be here. Like if obviously if he wasn't the well, one of the oldest and most revered Jedi masters in the order at this point uh, and wasn't looked to so much for his wisdom and insight on, you know, complicated situations of state or the heart or the force or whatever, he probably would have resigned his spot on the council, you know, centuries ago Mm -hmm. and just stayed teaching these classes of younglings until the end of his days. You know, that would have been the best thing in the world for Yoda, but he has a sense of responsibility as well, not only to teach these younglings, but to help shepherd and guide the Jedi Order and all of these younglings that are now knights and masters over the years that he's taught and seen grow and die, um, you know, become one with the Force. 
for the centuries that he's been doing this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got very, very philosophical on Yoda there from a scene, <laughs> one scene. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's a great scene, and it's a and it's a great place to to wrap up uh, our Act One conversation. Yeah, uh, and uh, they they send Obi Wan off to Kamino. And Yoda has to contemplate another problem that he really didn't want to have to do. Mm-hmm. But um, somebody erased those files from the Jedi libraries, and it must have been a Jedi. Yeah. Obviously, by the end of this, we're implied that it's Dooku. Right. But right here, they don't have a clue. They have no idea. Yeah. And to be fair, we didn't talk about this from very early in the movie, but when Padme implicates Dooku right at the beginning for her assassination mm-hmm. attempt, Mace and Kiyoti Mundi are very quick to defend him, right? Um, like he was once a Jedi. So, mm-hmm. so I, and I think even for Yoda, especially when we learned that Yoda was his actual master, like he, Dooku was his Padawan. Like, I think they, all the council looks at, like they're, they're not a fan of what Dooku's doing, but they still respect him, right? Mm-hmm. So no way this could be him. So yeah, like this ends with a state of Yoda's like, oh man, I gotta, I really gotta figure what's going on out. Yeah. It, uh, it is interesting though, to note from that earlier scene, you know, Mace and Kiri Mundi just completely disregard the Dooku connection immediately without yeah. question. Yep. Yoda doesn't say anything. That's true. He just sort of like takes it all in and considers it. He doesn't dismiss it. Right. I don't think he thinks it's likely, um, but he takes it in as, as a possibility that oh, might oh. have to be looked at. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Jason. Um, that it's it's not a it's not a dismissal from Yoda, but it's also not a confirmation from Yoda. Exactly. Uh-huh. So. Well, I think we've got plenty of mystery ahead for us next week with Act Two. What do you think? Uh, I think we do a mystery and what's that smell? It's love. Love is in the air. Um, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> oh man. God, uh, I, I, that was the best reaction. Yes. Thank you so much. I think, uh, I think things are about to get soft and smooth. Mm, indeed. Soft yeah. and smooth. That's, that's exactly uh, what the Camino and skin is like uh, for sure. Um. <laughs> no question. <laughs> oh man. So, well, again, thank you everybody for, for joining us for our continued coverage and love fest on episode two attack of the clones. Um, I love the opening. I mean, I love every act of this movie and I can't wait to continue the conversation next week. Um, you know, as we said, if, if you are listening to this as it came out, I'm, I hope you are having a great Star Wars day or have a way to, in some way this week, appreciate, even if you have to wait till the weekend, appreciate your love of Star Wars. And if you are listening to us on Star Wars Day, thank you for making us part of your Star Wars Day. We are truly humbled for that. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. May the 4th be with you, um, as we said earlier. And I, I, what better way to celebrate uh May the 4th, then, to celebrate a movie that is nearly at its 20-year anniversary. Uh, And, of course, that's what we're doing all month here is celebrating Attack of the Clones, uh, a movie that definitely deserves to be celebrated, in our opinion. So, Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, so yeah, uh, as, as we said at the start of the show, if you, if you had it, if you got up to anything particularly exciting with your star Wars day or anything that you plan to do to celebrate, we'd love to know what you did. Send us a photo, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, we, we'd love to know, um, how you, how you got to enjoy your star Wars day. Absolutely. And Carl, if people want to uh, send us any of those, those pictures or, or descriptions of, of their star Wars day, or if they want to give us any of their thoughts on our discussion here uh, today, where can people do that? Well, we are on Twitter at Wampas Lair. You can also get to us on uh, Instagram at The Wampas Lair. And you can always email us at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Anything else before we close down this episode? This was a blast, Jason, and I can't wait for next week already. Uh, me either. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 466, Attack of the Clones, Act 1. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair. Wampas Lair.